2: Living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys
1: are way past their prime, But they're still Hawkeyes! They're spreading the Hawkeye height to all of Nebraska! The Frost
0: Advisory is cancelled! Corn
2: Huskers, more like corn suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go!
3: all right welcome to the nebraska hawk's nest your nice little hawkeye oasis in the middle of a little bit of a nebraska desert out here spreading the hawkeye gospel amongst all the huskers so if you take a second give us a like subscribe tell your friends tell your family your neighbors maybe hire a town crier and send them down to the town square whatever it takes to get the hawkeye gospel spread we're here for you so as you can see we're going a little bit solo today adam's feeling a little under the weather um so wasn't able to make the interview. Now, Maddie, uh, anybody that's watched our podcast, Maddie, the Miller Light Delight Ice, came for a visit last night. So whether these are natural factors or unnatural factors, why Adam doesn't feel so well today, we're not sure. But you've got me here and we've got the pleasure of a guest that I am completely thrilled to interview today, Sir Jamalot, Gary Wright. Gary, how are you doing this evening?
4: I'm oh, doing pretty good. Um, beautiful day out here in Southern
3: California. Oh, that's awesome. It's not quite as warm here in Nebraska, so we're a little bit jealous of you there, but uh, we won't talk about it too much. We uh, we got a lot to talk about here. Uh, as, as it goes with guests we've had, um, I'm not sure. We've got a guy here with a pretty com- colorful, complete history of a lot of different things. So uh, to start off with, Gary, tell us what you're up to now out there in California.
4: I am in my uh, 21st year um, in the San Bernardino School District. I am a supervisor in the district. Uh-huh. as well as in my' whew, what was this 18th year of coaching wow as a head coach anyway
3: right and that's a head coach at the community college level or is that the is that a school script like uh, community? community college level so i read a stat on you that says that you at one point at when you were at your 15 years, you had a hundred percent graduation rate and a ninety five percent matriculation rate, moving players to four year uh, four year universities. Is that stat still intact?
4: That's, that stat is nearly still intact. I've had one player um, in that three year span that didn't graduate, and also one player that didn't move to the next level. Wow, well, so that that's an incredible
3: rate. that is an incredible raid, And that's an incredible influence on a lot of young people that you've had. So it's a tremendous, a lot of kudos to you for that. Um, as we get into talk about this, I'm excited. There may be a lot of rabbit holes for somebody like me that has a lot of, uh, that has a tendency to remember a lot of things from watching the Hawks growing up, you bridged some pretty important careers. in what I would term the, uh, a golden age of basketball, at least for me in the, in the early and mid 1980s. So, um, Starting off with coming out of San Bernardino um, as a kid and your recruitment, Gary, you didn't go to Iowa first. Tell us about you know how growing up, what spurred your interest in basketball? What kind of a kid? What kind of interest did you have? How did you end up then, you know, going to USC to start and uh, kind of take us into that
4: up to that you know freshman year? I um I was a football player. Uh, really and thought I was going to be a, a, a great football player, but I was one of those kids, probably typical of most kids. I, you know, I had the heart, didn't have the body. <laughs> so I love football, I didn't love me back and ended up uh, breaking my neck um, when I was 14. No and kidding. And that's how I came to basketball. Uh, when I recovered from that, they told me I could never play uh, football again. And so at that point, I took up basketball in my, um, In my ninth grade year. And so it 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 didn't go so good at first. I didn't (laughs) know know any of the roles, I didn't understand the sport really. Uh it took me a while to, you know, even get the coordination for it. But Mm -hmm. I had a good coach and he had he had the foresight to put me in a gymnastics class. So my first couple years of high school I was uh learning to play basketball and taking gymnastics for my coordination and uh it all came together by my junior year. In junior year, I, I took off uh, play of the year in California. the next year I was play of the year, in California. And I, I made the mistake of, uh, I didn't understand basketball recruitment whatsoever. I was a football guy.
2: Uh-huh. So
4: of course my dream, being a football guy from California was Southern going to USC.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So that's how I ended up at USC, you know, and uh-huh. it, it it dawned on me halfway through <laughs> that, you know, it probably wasn't a great idea to for a basketball guy to go to a football school. There was no one at the games. Mm-hmm. Um, the team wasn't very good. And I, I, I did well. Um, I was runner up freshman of the year in the conference. And so after that, I, I you know, knew I needed to get to a basketball
3: school. <laughs> sure. Very nice. Now. Um, were you like me? I kind of had the similar experience with football when I was young. Uh, did you grow faster than everybody else? So that kind of left you wide open? I think I led my uh, little league in the amount of times I got the wind knocked out of me because I was so much taller than everybody else. Is that is that similar to you as well? That, that was me and <laughs> at my knees and ankles. <laughs> well, and that's how I ended up playing basketball as well. So we've got a little bit in common on that one. But, um, you know, when you mentioned USC is not a uh, basketball school though, but the USC your freshman year had a pretty darn good women's team. If I, if, if the uh, yes. to tell me correctly, and they had a, yeah. well, they had they a couple great. of players <laughs> named uh, Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Miller, I believe. Did you, uh, did you ever have any interaction with them while you were there? Or?
4: Yeah. I, I knew Cheryl from high school. Um, she was from 15 minutes away she and reggie uh-huh. so i knew reggie and cheryl even before we went to uh, usc um but the girls were great also on that team were uh, paula and pam mcgee yes um, um pam is the mother of Javelle mcgee in the nba no um, kidding and, yeah she was better than her son <laughs> 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 she, she,
3: she was really good well, names like that on that team—I think they were probably better than some of the men's team down throughout history. They probably, you yeah, know, they could have—they kind of they could have gave the, anybody they a contest. Won the,
4: the national championship—I want to say about two or three times. Yeah, uh, well, I that think I believe stretch. they.
3: I believe the year you were there, they they won the national title exactly. Right. Um, so your familiarity with the Millers uh, then—were were you ever privy? They used to go down and they tried to—they'd uh, go win lunch money on the playground courts, taking on other teams. Were you ever privy to any of that when they were growing up? <laughs> no,
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was too much of a nerd for that. <laughs> I'd be too nervous. <laughs> i, I give it away.
3: <laughs> You'd just be laughing while they uh, while they let everybody on that they weren't that good. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I didn't realize you had that personal connection. Um. So, uh, was, uh, were you ever around Reggie then? Did he uh, did he talk as much when he was younger as he did as he, when he got to the pros? Yeah, Reggie's
4: always been a talker. As he? <laughs> he's always been a talker.
3: Oh, that's Never awesome. short of
4: confidence.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, kind of tailing on the end of your USC, that first season then, um, you guys made a trip to uh, the field house in Iowa City, the old field house before Carver-Hawkeye. And uh, you you got involved in a little bit of a, a scrap there a little bit and
4: uh, only, I, only game I've ever been kicked out of <laughs> the last game played in the old Phil house. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I, I got something here. It's just a short little clip we'll play for the t- for the people at home that are watching this. Um, it, again, it's nothing embarrassing, but just kind of lend a little color as far as as far as what had um what what transpired here. So one second. Well, this ought to be good. I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've got a crack research team here. So, uh, anyway, so here we go. Oh! No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well,
3: that that was the slow motion replay after it happened. But, uh, anyway, so, yeah, you, I got in that. And, uh, yeah, technical. And then, also, there was another, an Iowa player ejected, if I recall. Uh, go, go ahead and tell us a little bit about that, if you would.
4: Yeah, it's funny because Steve and I are cool. Yeah. <laughs> so he just – I, I don't know if it was Steve that got me. Someone got me earlier, and, i you know, I'm a football guy. I'm going to get you back. <laughs> and I don't remember who it was, but he he took the blow. Yeah. And of all the people that hit, that was the wrong guy. You know, he was like a demigod, you know, <laughs> at the time. Uh, but uh, he, he – that's my guy. He's a Southern California guy. Yep, I was going to say uh, Bellflower, Steve if I Burfield. recall. Yes, a Belflower, about an hour, about an hour away, and his brother went to USC. So I, I had met his brother Don, and um, when you know when I eventually went to Iowa, Steve was the one. He was he was happiest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was one with welcoming arms, even though he
3: even though he got the shot in the game. Right? Yeah, he,
4: he took the shot. I, I think he liked the toughness, though. he oh. uh, he respected the toughness. Like we need some of that.
3: You know, I remember what I remember him playing was when he'd shoot a three pointer. It would disappear. It had such a high arc. It would disappear out of the screen view, watching at home, and then it would drop down in the hoop from nowhere. And I mean, it was you just kind of wondered where the heck it went. You kind of had this idea of loop maybe through the rafters when he shot it. He just put so much arc on it on those shots. So, oh, uh, that's great. He went on to have a, a pretty good career in Australia, if I recall correctly, didn't he? Yeah,
4: yeah, a um, good playing career, and then ended up um, doing a, being a color analyst down there.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: In I, fact, uh, I, I reached out to him for a couple of kids. I've recruited some kids from from Australia, yeah. And well, so we've we had contact afterwards, like that. Oh,
3: well, sure. We've i we've tried to reach out to him a couple times on email, but uh, we're we'll, we'll, we're hoping to be successful. Maybe get him on here again and catch up with him. He's another favorite from back in the day. Um, we interviewed Bob Hogue early, uh, the old Iowa play by play analyst from back in the, back in your time. And he was talking about the kind of the uh, having the first uh, basketball network as per se and kind of how you guys were treated like rock stars at different times because you had the following of the entire state when he was broadcasting. And Carfina was one he mentioned. So, oh, that's awesome. But anyway, so go ahead. Then we go from there. And um, why I choose Iowa, Gary, Uh, you you know, as you said, you wanted to go to a basketball school. But what brought you to Iowa?
4: Mainly the uh, the Twin Towers, Stokes and Payne. Uh huh. And uh, I knew that, you know, those two players on the team meant that I would not attract nearly as much attention as I'm trying to get my footing uh, as a sophomore. And also, uh, George Mm Raveling had recruited me out of high school. He recruited myself and two of my teammates actually went to Washington State and told me, you know, he's a good guy. He's a good coach. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I ended up. Coming sure over. he recruited me again
3: sure sure and uh, had you had much interaction from him back when you played at uh, USC in the Pac-10 then or was and
4: yeah I mean he he heavily he was at my house quite a lot recruiting me um out of high school I mean he, he was in San Bernardino all the time he was recruiting the three of us yeah uh, we had um four or five division high division one players on my high school team no kidding no uh, kidding a
3: pretty good team it sounds like it did you how'd you guys do and uh were, were you state
4: titleists or uh, did you do well in the uh, state we, competitions we lost um we lost a, a game before we lost in the semifinals it was the only game we lost all year yeah um and then the year before we lost two games and, and at the same point so i you know i ended up i only lost those three games in high school uh, so we, so. we were pretty good
3: I apologize. I've got a cat that probably thinks I need a co-host here and was wanting to get in the screen. So, um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that is, that's not pretty good. So Stokes and Payne, that would be, uh, Michael Payne and Greg Stokes. And, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit here too, because again, when we talked about it, you got to play with some pretty good, uh, players in Iowa history there. Yeah. So, um, you know, you come in and you get to play along at Greg Stokes. And I mean, you know, he ends up now that he is, uh, you know he's a second or third leading score in in school history now, but at the time when you were there, he would have been the first. He was and the and uh, what was he like behind the scenes? What you know, work ethic, practices. I mean, what 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 kind of guy was he, and what was it that led to his success?
4: Greg was Greg was a tough guy. Uh, you know, he was the enforcer. No, no question about it. I remember once, and um, I took care of Greg. I you know always set him up with passes, feeding him the ball. And I remember we were playing Illinois and. They had a big guy named George Montgomery, or uh, I think his name was. And he hit me with an elbow that just, you know, like split my chest open. Right. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'm laying on the floor trying to catch my breath. And all Greg says, who got you, G who got you? <laughs> and I, I pointed at the biggest guy on the floor, like <laughs> that guy right there. So, okay. About three, three or four trips down the floor. And before I it, he, he had clocked him with an elbow and. Big George was doubled over. <laughs> so that that's the kind of guy Greg was.
2: <laughs>
4: he always he, had your back. Uh... Of course. Yeah, he had everybody's back. Yeah. And he could play. Oh, he that was develop. no
3: doubt. I remember he had that little that hook shot in the lane that he Left could go up with. Hook. Yes. Yep. Yep. He was a he was a master of that. And um then Michael Payne out of Quincy, Illinois. Um, six eleven, maybe, maybe you know, probably maybe more finesse. But I mean, what do you remember about Michael Payne then as well?
4: Oh, just smooth yeah he was he was ahead of his time he was he was a player that would would have thrived in the game today the way it's played sure you know, where uh back then a guy that big playing a, a finesse style of game you know they, they want to put a skirt on him you know mm-hmm. <laughs> but in today's <laughs> game you know with with no contact no touching you know you can't hit guys like before uh, he he'd have, he'd have eaten this game up.
3: Yeah, no, and and he did, he was, he was, and that was kind of so nimble and quick. And I mean, it was the kind of athletic ability. You really didn't see come around until maybe like a David Robinson or somebody came on the scene right, as right. far as, as far as his ability right. went.
4: Even like a, I can positively compare him to a Durant, you know, not nearly to that level, but in that direction for sure. Cause he can handle the ball. He can shoot the jump shot, he can pass, you know, sit down and defend.
3: Mm-hmm. And then you know he'd stretch out he's six eleven, sure, sure. Do you guys still keep up with those guys then or
4: occasionally uh, occasionally it's sad, uh, unfortunately, mostly on sad occasions now, you know, if someone's ill or you know um, mm-hmm. we, we lost Michael Reeves a few years ago. Um, oh really? about a year and a half ago, I guess it is it so that sort of brought us all together again. uh,
3: Under unfortunate circumstances,
4: right. Same with Roy when Roy passed away. Yeah,
3: Yeah, brought us together again. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know, unfortunately, it's part of life. But you, you hate for those to be the circumstances that you get back together with everybody. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, going through then, then what was your uh, you know your first uh, maybe even like your first winter in iowa city but what was that first year in iowa city like for a california guy like yourself you know what were what were the first impressions what were what were the places the hangouts that you learned to uh to go to and uh what was your first winter like
4: i remember that first winter um once it got to about october every every day for about six weeks was the new coldest day of my life (laughs) And I knew right away. I, I wrote home and said, "Hey, you know, you got to send me um, some kind of winter jacket here. <laughs> you know, this 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 little thin flight. I had my dad's flight jacket. You know, that was the warmest thing I had. Uh-huh. And it, it, the, the breeze walking across that Iowa River was just tearing that thing up. <laughs> <laughs> so that that first winter was tough. But um, you know, we played indoors, and I knew that's what I was there for. And you know, sure." You you, you tough it up and get through it. So there was no regrets. Then when
3: the first this first snowfall you ran into, there's no No. regrets saying, what did I get myself into?
4: (laughs) No, 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 no. Had had you ever committed? Had
3: had you ever seen
4: snow before that, Gary? I did once on a I went on a Christian retreat and they took us up in the mountains, you know, you know, let us run outside and lose our minds when the snow started falling. (laughs) i think i must have been about 12 or 14 or 13 or
3: so yeah it's one of those things you never thought you'd be living in though was it
4: no <laughs> i didn't go to didn't go to notre dame because of that <laughs> really
3: it you had the chance to go out, to notre dame huh
4: that, that was my school that um the two schools i had narrowed it down to coming out of high school usc and notre dame and um boy without a mistake i could have been playing for digger phelps and you know but it was a football school and you know, Notre Dame and USC, mm-hmm. the big rivalry.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, it was huge back in the day, you know, with uh, you know, Joe Montana back at, uh, at Notre Dame and yeah, USC and uh, what Marcus Allen and uh, I think it was maybe Charles White before that. Yeah. I mean, that was a great mm-hmm. football yeah. rivalry back in the day. So, so. You know, you move on then in your second year again, Coach Ravling. Coach Ravling, I used to love the. He, he kind of shook up the uh, the uh, following with his Nike sweatsuits on the sideline. You know, everything up to that point had been the, uh, had been the uh, the tough shirt and tie and coat type uh, demeanor, and right, uh, right. Coach Ravling came in with the uh, Nike sweatsuits. and I, you know, I don't know the fans knew what to think of it, but what kind of personality was he behind the scenes?
4: He was uh, he was a character. He he was very you know, bigger than life character you know uh you definitely knew when he entered the room uh (laughs) either for the nike (laughs) suit or for his big bolsterous
3: personality yeah yeah Yeah, And he used to have those great it was always fun watching the games with him in indiana because it was just i don't know he and knight just kind of had that you could just tell it was just a great coaching battle between the two of them when they played each other But so anyway, your sophomore year then, or excuse me, your second year at Iowa then I believe was his final season and he ends up transferring. What did you guys, were you privy to any of that? Or did you suspicion anything behind the scenes before he left? No,
4: it it actually happened. Um, so I redshirted and he was there and then I played for him as a sophomore and as a junior. And then he left. Um, I was not, I, I know that there was pressure on him because of, um, with the squad that he had assembled we should have been winning more mm-hmm. even uh my sophomore year with um with, with greg i was i was all big 10 as a sophomore mm-hmm. um with greg and michael uh and we had good guards i mean todd berkampas
2: mm-hmm.
4: uh, i don't know if you remember todd he, he oh, was was yeah. outstanding player if he had played for tom davis um I think he would have had a shot to continue to play.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: He he was that good. Todd was that good. Um, one of the and, all, one of the
3: all time leading scorers out of uh, Mapleton, Iowa.
4: Yeah, he he was something else. Um, and then not only Todd, also um, there was um, B.J. Armstrong. Mm-hmm. My freshman year, also um, Michael Reeves. I mean, we we had guards enough to with that front line we should have been winning more and we got bounced after you know in the first round and then the second year the same thing we got bounced in the first round and the one thing that that having that amount of talent will do is it it will expose your coaching chops
2: mm-hmm.
4: especially when you start facing those teams that have an equal amount of talent mm-hmm. and like talent you know the talent can carry you and make you it can make a, a coach who may not be as adept as a coach look great until he comes up against someone who could put together, you know, a plan a strategy and so forth and so on. And so I think that pressure was, was mounting that people were saying, Hey, you know, you can recruit, can you coach?
2: Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that,
4: that's that's always been the knock on unraveling. On yeah. A great recruiter great guy, great at, you know, putting together these teams, but can you put together the X's and the O's? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Tom came in and and Tom had just the opposite reputation. Great coach, great, great with strategy, can't recruit. And when those two forces came together, then that's, of course, you know, that great run is uh, my senior year.
3: Sure. What were your first impressions of Dr. Tom when he came in the doors over there, Gary? I mean, what, what you know, kind of describe what happened and, and what, what were your first thoughts?
4: Um, I, I didn't really know what to think, you know, um, but I but I remembered him uh-huh. because when I was a freshman at USC, he was it was his first year at Stanford and he went in there um, and turned that program around and gave usc the worst loss they had ever had up until that point in the pac 10 really in the history of the school so i mean dumped us by like 25 or something i mean it was it was ugly <laughs> <laughs> and and they were pressing and, and uh um, he had a uh a kid that was a walk-on that was starting and starting lineup um who was a freshman a freshman walk-on starting for him and i was like you know i like that i thought that was pretty palsy sure um And so I knew I knew of him, but I didn't know him. Um, But we hit it off from day one. You know, he he pulled me in his office when he got the job. uh, He he met with everybody that was returning. He's going down. He's like, "Okay, you set the school record for single season field goal percentage." He says, "Ah, you can do that again. That'd be fine." (laughs) You (laughs) know, he says, "Shot it good. Yeah, you can do that. That'd be fine." okay. And that was it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I said to him, I said, you know, the office looks really different, you know,
2: uh-huh.
4: uh, without George. George had the office lined with just walls and walls of books from top to bottom. And, you know, Tom, there was nothing on the wall, uh, uh-huh. a little stereo system for his music. And he had a, a basketball chalkboard uh, that he had put up and uh, like a whiteboard, and and that was it. And I was like, "Wow, it looks really different." And he said, ah, "I don't make any pretenses. I'm a <laughs> basketball coach. That's all I do." So I, I said, "I like that. I like."
3: That. <laughs> well, that pretty much told about his style as well. So, they. Uh, no, that's great. That is great. And so, when you talk about the, you know, the pressing and everything, and he comes in. You know, you guys came in, and then you talk about the talent that was on that team when he came in as well. And you guys handed uh, Indiana, and they were eventual national champion that year, but you handed Indiana. there It was the first time a night team had given up more than 100. It was like 101 to 68, I believe, or 88. And, uh, I mean, how was it that, that – did it, did it just click during the uh, during the transition from George to Tom, or, or was there anything behind it, the it,
4: scenes? But it just seemed like it clicked. It clicked because Tom, Tom could coach. I mean he was a great coach i mean he he's one of the best coaches i've played for in my career i, I played for some good ones uh-huh. um but he just knew what he was doing he had a, a clear vision of how it should look and and he was you know tom himself he was a baller when he was a you know a young guy uh-huh. you know i think he was a wisconsin green bay uh i want to say um, one of those schools, but he, he, he could play. He jumped in practice a couple times. Like, you know, <laughs> he just snatched the ball from BJ beach. <laughs> Ooh, do <it> like this, <laughs> and we were shocked. Like, Oh, you know, this guy can play <laughs> you know, yeah. give the ball throws it around the back pass. It's the guy right on the money. I said, okay. I, I got it. I remember that I got everybody's attention. We, we didn't know we didn't know he could play. George, George couldn't play, you know, mm-hmm. George could rebound, but he couldn't play. You
3: know, (laughs) we, uh, you know, when I think about that and you mentioned that Indiana game, I remember Dr. Tom having that, that full court press that he, you guys played against everybody, but I'll never forget Bobby Knight. And I don't know if it was ever made true or not, but I can remember Kent Hill, especially guarding that inbounds pass on that full court. And it was like, you know, always when you played Indiana, there always seemed to be a time where the ball would get thrown right off a guy, right off the, the, the defender's face or the forehead.
4: Right, right, and, right. And it was always suspicion well, maybe that Knight had, was doing it on purpose. Um, it, 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 well, he told it, he told um, Steve, Alfred, to hit Brad. Brad was, um, in my year, it was Brad Lowhouse. He's sure. all over that inbounder. And he winds up and drills him in the chest. But <laughs> found out later, Bobby had told him to hit him in the face. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, I to back him up. You know, yeah. Um, Alfred hits him in the chest and, you know, Brad shakes it off and there we are.
2: Uh,
4: <laughs> I remember that game. That was the first game against Bobby Knight uh, when he was coaching against time that I saw Bobby outcoached. Sure. I've never seen Coach Knight outcoach like that. It was a, a very close game right up until I want to say about two or three minutes left. Uh-huh. It was a, a three-point game, two-point game, something like that. But we ended up winning by about 12. And I, there was a timeout um, where we scored. Bobby calls a timeout. In the huddle, uh, Coach Davis says, hey, keep fast-breaking. If made or miss, fast-break, get a bucket in transition. And and don't call a timeout. Don't burn any of my timeouts just keep playing he said i trust what we're doing on offense that we will be more organized than whatever they're going to put together on defense made or miss so if we miss don't don't hold it and walk it up the floor and play against their half court d run our transition and so every time they would score you know or we would score they would call a timeout, let our defense get set every time they would shoot made or miss we'd fast break the other way and we scored on every one of those possessions. And that's what kind of, you know, made it look like we beat them worse than we did. So sure. great. I was like, uh, that, that stuck with me. And I, yeah. I used that
3: in my own coaching career. Yeah. What were your impressions then uh, playing against Bobby Knight? Did you ever have any interactions with him? Or uh, was, it, was it all from <laughs> a distance? Did. Or
4: No, no. Actually, um, my, my first impression was as a sophomore. Uh, ball goes out. I'm the inbounder and he picks it up and so I go and I stand beside him and he's just waiting for the ref to come over and the, the ref comes over and he gives him uh, an earful like I've never heard in my life you know I mean uh-huh. he, it, it would have made a sailor blush and the ref is just calm as can be come on Bob come on give me the ball Bob and he's holding it like, like a little kid you know like no I didn't come to Iowa City to get effed over by you and blah, 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 blah. And I start trembling because I'd never, you know, mm-hmm. seen someone so angry. And um, so that was my first impression. And then after the last game um, that I played against him, we're, we're leaving the floor. We just beat him. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, a tough loss. The last home game. And he comes over. He, he as we're walking um, toward the tunnel, he, he, he jogs up and he puts his arm on my shoulder. In the tunnel, and says, "Hey, I've really, in, you know, enjoyed mm. competing against you these years." And he said, "You are, you are the one kid on this team. I, you definitely could have played for me. It would have been an honor to have you play for me." Sure. And I thought that was, you know, and I think he knew I was, you know, a military kid, uh-huh. and I think that resonated with him as well.
3: Sure. Um, from his time coaching at uh, West Point, I believe, if I remember correctly, right? right?
4: right. Yeah, right. That,
3: then when he had a uh, young Mike Krzyzewski, I believe, uh, yeah, playing or coaching right. with him, something like playing, that. Playing so. and coaching. Yeah. All right. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, Gary Wright and his athletic ability, we got another one here. I'm going to share another uh, video clip here, if you don't mind, uh, just yeah, to give, some of the fa- give the fans an idea of what, um, just what, what we enjoyed as Iowa fans back then. All right. Well, I got to apologize. The sound quality maybe wasn't the greatest on some of those. And uh, but anyway, you were you were back uh, before Dominique back in the 80s. You or I was version of the uh, human highlight film with a lot of the, uh, <laughs> the dunks and the aerials you performed. I mean, were you always did you always have that natural ability for uh, for for
4: oh. uh, hang time? I couldn't shoot. <laughs> so, every, everything had to be point blank range. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that that let me get into the basket quite a lot. Sure, sure.
3: Um, you know, for and again, we touched on it at the beginning, but when did you come up with the moniker of Sir Jamalot?
4: Who, how did that start? Uh, that was a, a high school teammate. really high school teammate uh pinned that one on me it was really for uh djing uh-huh oh really uh, yeah we, we 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 were horrible at it but you know like <laughs> most kids we love most seniors. we love music and you know thought we were good at it <laughs>
3: but, hey you know i'm sure you sounded good to you guys but yeah, to everybody else in the room sure. maybe not so sure. much <laughs> not so much so what uh, take us into that 86, 87 season then Gary. And again, I, you know, we'll talk a little bit more, but you mentioned, you know, the, the talent, the BJ Armstrong, Roy Marble, Ed Horton, Brad Lowhouse, Les Jefferson. I mean, all these future NBA players on that roster. And I mean, did you guys realize what was going to happen that season? Did you have any kind of an idea? I don't
4: think we did. Um, uh, I I, I really don't believe that we did. Um, You know, because we had, you know, we had that, the talent was already there. Um, it, a lot of it was just buried on the bench, mm-hmm. you know, low house was already there. Kevin Gamble was there Ed Horton was there, uh, you know, my junior year. And, and again, we get bounced in the first round. And so, you know, we did not know we were as good as we had the potential mm-hmm. to be, um, because we hadn't lived up to that potential up until that point. So mm-hmm. we just thought we were just another one of those teams. We were good. But we, you know, in the in the top 20, certainly, but that's par for the course in the Big Ten during that time. Sure. You know, I think my, my – I want to say my junior year, seven, seven out of the ten teams make it to the NCAA playoffs
2: mm-hmm. to the
4: dance. Yeah. So we were just another of those teams in the mix. We hadn't done anything up until that point. Sure. Um, so we had the potential, but it was um, – and we knew we would be good, but it wasn't until we went on that historic roll, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately I was watching from the sideline. Well, with a broken yeah. hand, yeah.
3: Oh, oh, that's right. I'd forgotten about that because you went out and played with the cast on your hand a few games, didn't you?
4: Yeah, that was before they were really willing to give those medical red shirts. Uh uh-huh. um, If you know, in today's game, I I, I probably would have been red shirted uh for missing half the season but at that point um I had already redshirted when I came from USC and so now they would have granted me a, a medical redshirt and I would have been able to you know sit out that year and and play but um at that time it didn't that was kind of unheard of mm
2: mm-hmm.
3: mhm so what are your memories, the biggest memories of that season, Gary? Like, was there any specific games or was there anything specific then? I mean, you, like you said, you had a great, you guys went on a big roll. You won over 30 games. You you know, it was a season full of highs. What, what stands out the most to you?
4: The, the Illinois win. That's when we knew we were good. Uh-huh. That, that's You know, we were down 22 in the second half. I want to say we were down 22 with about 15 minutes left in the game. Mm-hmm. And we came on the road at Illinois and we were ranked number two in the nation at that time. We had just beaten Purdue. The Purdue win everyone thought was huge. You know, we went on the road, we beat, you know, Gene Katie and in mm-hmm. Purdue, and they were a ranked team, but we were ranked in the top five at that point, maybe three or four somewhere in there. And then the next game, um, I wanna say North Carolina's ranked number one and we're ranked number two. And we're playing Illinois at Illinois, and when we came back from that that deficit and beat them, and it was a it was a turning point for me as well. Um, I had been struggling with the the broken hand, and um, and it was in time. It said, "Look, you know, if he, you know." When you can when you can hit your free throws again that's when we're going to put you back in there and, and increase your minutes my minutes have been increasing all along mm-hmm. the way but in that illinois game uh i think i in the second half he saw that okay when the game's on the line i still got it and i think i had 14 in that game or so and um uh, maybe seven or eight rebounds or so but it was a he saw my confidence come back mm-hmm. and he knew okay geez back. And so after that game, he had put me back in the starting lineup. So it was, it was great for us as a team. That road trip was where we really came together, and and it was great for me personally uh, to you know win back the trust of the squad.
3: Well, that's great. That's great information because, you know, as Hawkeye fans, we always kind of wonder what was going on, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. We didn't have an internet back then and, uh, and different things. So we were relying on a lot of the uh, media. So they weren't as privy maybe to the going on behind the scenes to hear things like that. Um, So I got another video here. I want to share that. This is the last one here. And hopefully the quality is a little better here, but um, you guys have a successful season. You uh, go on and you play a sweet 16 game with Arkansas and, Again, my cat wants to keep helping. I apologize to uh, everybody out there. So, uh, but anyway, uh, let me. Oh, Oklahoma, we play. We oh, play I'm sorry, North Oklahoma, 6-2. not Arkansas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. I my apologies. I did the punk team
4: here. One of my high school teammates. So they, they, oh. they yeah. We, um, he was the starting guard, six seven two guard for Oklahoma. Dave Seeger and. and um, He's won the one that the following year, when Oklahoma goes to the finals, sets the record for knocking down seven threes in the finals. So okay. can just imagine how my high school team was. <laughs>
3: <laughs> one of the most exciting moments, I think, in Hawkeye basketball history happened. And uh, we're going to play a little clip from it here. So I believe when we see that there, I think we, on the bench, we see a young Gary right on the bench over there celebrating the moment. But take us behind that moment, Gary, on the bench, you know, the timeout that preceded it, the, uh, the, you know, I mean, what was the what was the feeling and mood like uh, before that? Because, again, it's one of the pinnacle moments in Iowa basketball history.
4: Well, it was, it was huge. It was, you know, I had played really good that game and fouled <laughs> out um, leading up to that moment. And I just felt like, oh, man, I just let my team down, you know. Um, but there were three seniors, it was myself, Kevin and Brad and, Mm -hmm. and, and we had, um, we we just were running a a flex five. I want to say it was, and when I looked at the clip right now, that's what it looked like. I was trying to remember the play, but, um, and on that play BJ slides over a little further to the wing, Kevin slides over into the slot and they were, you know, sinking it in because we Mm -hmm. were, you know, getting it inside, we were hurting them inside. Uh, and they just sunk down there and like, they forgot about Kevin and he didn't, you know, he's a baller. He didn't hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: was, was going to say, how, you know, that was, a, that was the abundance of riches on that team. Cause how do you forget about Kevin Gamble? I mean, he goes on yeah. to have an illustrious NBA career, you know, and a great and, shooter. And
4: Kevin, I remember for, that was a huge moment for Kevin, uh, huge. And he said to me afterwards, he said, you know, I, I've been dreaming of that moment all my life to to hit the you know the game winning bucket in a really big and important game he's and he uh, he was just he he's pretty you know he's a pretty reserved guy he doesn't mm-hmm. he's not gushing with emotion
2: sure <laughs> but sure
4: I, I, but i remember in that moment he was you know that was like um and he was waiting for i mean he had played you know lights out all season and i don't think he was we had we just had so much talent that he was kind of like, like you said, how do you forget about that guy? <laughs> but with he, you know, there was so much talent on that squad, you you, you can't forget about Brad. He's 7-1, you know, there, you know, he, 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 Roy Marble's getting all the, you know, uh, mm-hmm. tremendous press and deservedly so. Um, mm-hmm. BJ's coming into his own and and you know, starting to be recognized. Uh, but he, he was kind of the odd guy out, you know, and he hadn't. And he was buried on the bench during the raffling years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy sitting next to him, buried on the bench, was Brad, you know. And sure. so he hadn't had that moment. And that was, so that was, that's what that's, that's what he was really mm-hmm. expressing in that moment while he was discussing with the motion. And, you know, uh, that, that was great. I was I was really happy for him. Oh,
3: and it was yeah. It was such an incredible moment as a fan. It was just, uh, it was just such a high and elation because you know to, to have a team win like that to earn a trip to the Elite Eight on that on that on that moment was just it was incredible. So, and um, then finally, after that, then the game with UNLV, and you know, we won't get too much into that because we don't want to explore, uh, explore uh, you know, any anything oh. too too much there. <laughs> a little bit of a down moment, but I mean, it was you know, it was a great team, and I mean, it was within an eyelash of you know of getting to that final four. I mean, what was yeah, what was the we feeling were, like during that game? And oh
4: man, we were in control of that game. You know, mm-hmm. the, leading into the game, they were like, well, you know. Will the Hawkeyes try to run with UNLV, you know, and we were laughing. Will UNLV try to run with us is what we were thinking. Uh, You know, and we were, we were number ranked, we were seated one and two. And so Mm -hmm. we, we, you know, we knew it was going to be a good game. I think what, what um, surprised us was it was as much of a game of of runs as it was. We've Mm -hmm. never had anybody make a run like that on us. So we start off with a great run. I want to say we went up by 15 or 20 points early on. And then they make a run, and they come back, and it's neck and neck. And then they make another run, and they go ahead. And then we make a run, and we come back. And it had an NBA flow to it. Um, and that was unfamiliar to probably as much to them as, as it was to us. In fact, I know it was. uh I knew a lot of the guys on the team and I ended up playing, uh, professionally with a couple of them
2: mm-hmm.
4: and we would, we would talk about that. You know, there was a lot of talent on the floor in that game. And, but just the, the ebb and flow of the game was, was unfamiliar. We, like I said, we've never had anybody mm-hmm. make a run like that on us against our press, against our, you know, our speed and quickness, mm-hmm. um, you know, they started hitting shots and it was, it was a great game. <laughs> I think it ended up being a one point game at the end, what, one or two. Um, but, and, and somebody has got to be on the downside of that, unfortunately. And sure. I, I always look at it like, you know, that, you know, had we won that game, you know, we were beating Indiana. That was, that was a given we had spent yeah. him twice. <laughs> I wasn't worried about Tom, you know, being outcoached by, by not by Bobby Knight. Not when I've seen him out coach Bobby Knight twice. Uh, and we, we just weren't having it we you know if you look at the talent on that indiana team um not to dismiss any of that talent but they were not as deep as we were
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know none of them went on and had those types of careers not even alfred um we, we could match that you know and coaching wise i felt we had the edge You mm-hmm. know, i mean bobby knight is historically the more celebrated coach but anybody who was there in a the moment would know, you know, Doctor Davis was a better coach
3: when it came to the X's and O's. Oh, definitely. We'll, we'll just take Doctor Davis. Doctor Tom is the a better coach, just in in any realm. He was, he was a great class he's a guy, coach. and a great. Oh, he's a great coach and a great guy. A yeah, he, so. he could
4: put the And I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he comes into a situation where um, he has all this talent, and we were good. He could have he could have just you know left it alone. But he came in and he's he's like, no, these guys, these position, you know, it's right. You've been playing small forward. I'm moving you to center. Lowhouse, you've been sitting on the bench trying to be a center. I'm moving you to stretch forward to the stretch forward, which is a position I had never heard of, you know, and he told Mm -hmm. me he made me a rim runner. I had never heard of that. He said, you just run from this rim to that rim as fast as you can. I guarantee you're going to beat everybody down the floor. We'll throw the ball to you. You dunk it. (laughs) he said, uh, then he, same with Kevin Gamble, who was playing power forward. I'm moving you to the two guard, and I'm going to put Roy at the small forward. Mm-hmm. And we do huh? <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> you know, and it just. It's like one of those, uh, you know, a great conductor comes in and he's listening to the orchestra, and it's like, mm-hmm. you play this note, you play that note, you play that when you play that one. You guys ready? Okay, <laughs> bam, and it's the damnedest chord you ever heard in your life. Right? <laughs> you know, yeah, that's exactly what happened with Tom.
3: Oh, that is awesome. So, so were you there, or at what point did they realize Brad Lowhouse could shoot three pointers? Because I think Georgia tried. He could, he tried could to- always shoot.
4: He didn't do it much in games,
3: did he? Before Dr. Tom got there? Well,
4: no. George wouldn't let him. Yeah. You know, George was, you know, George was very old school, and you know, Tom was evolving with the game. You know, Mm -hmm. he 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 very much coached a pro, you know, a pro style of game, and it's like, and he said, you put players where they belong on the floor according to their DNA, not according to well. He's my tallest guy, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to make him a center. And and that was George's thinking. And so George was always trying to fit, you know, this round peg in a square hole. And it didn't, you know, obviously didn't take. And so, you know, like you're soft, you need to be in there. You need to be under the basket, you need to be tough, get in the weight room. You know, he's the type of coach that would have taken Magic Johnson and posted him up, you know? as opposed to let that guy play where he plays, you know? Uh And and Tom came in and said, well, he told me, he said, my job, because I asked him about all those changes. I was like, you know, really? (laughs) He, he (laughs) He said, gee, he said, my job as a coach, my only job as a coach, is to put you on a position on the floor where you can have success. If mm-hmm. you can have success shooting the ball, that's where we're going to put you. If you can have success posting up, then I'm going to create those situations where you're, you're going to you know be one-on-one in the post. So I, you know, as he evaluated all of us, and he was spot on with his evaluations, he's like, I'm going to put you guys where you need to be so that you can complement each other and bring out your strengths. And we'll work on those weaknesses. Like I asked him, I said, do you think I need to shoot more from the outside? Because I could shoot um, by then. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> you know <laughs> by then, <laughs> by then, you know, I could shoot a little bit. Um, and I said, "Do you think I need to do more of that to help myself uh, in terms of the draft?" And he said, "No." He said, "What you do, you do well enough that they'll they'll pay to either find out or to teach you." Mm-hmm. And he said, "So just you know, play to your strengths." And and that's what he did with with all those guys. I mean, guys got an opportunity that. You know, one of the things that a lot of people didn't know, BJ was getting ready to transfer at real State. BJ was transferring. He was out of there. He was like, this guy is not letting me play. Because Coach uh, Riley, he didn't like all that fancy dribbling and, you know, no-look pass and around the back. And this, you know, he, uh, Tom came in and says, hey, man, do that. That's who <laughs> you are. <laughs> you know, be who you are. And – uh this, nope. in, within the framework of what we do and take care of the ball and well the rest is history
3: so no kidding did bj have a, a target school in mind then or was he just he just I, had, had enough
4: I, I don't know that it was that far along but uh-huh. he he was to that point where he had had enough
3: wow i had never heard that before so that's uh yeah i guess that's my uh, so my big learning that's, moment that's at this my, interview.
4: yeah my, that's my little <laughs> Inside
3: information. There you go. <laughs> I, I appreciate that Gary. I, 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 you know, that's, that's great information. I was never aware of that. Oh. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, go into the post-basketball career. Then Gary, you, uh, you finish up at Iowa and I remember they always talked about it when you were in college, you had a dream of flying one day. They, they, I remember that talking about the interviews back when you played at Iowa. What, what ended up happening then after you
4: got out of Iowa and where did you end up? So my, my dad was a flyer. Uh, in the air force. And, um, so he didn't much like it that I did my officer training with the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you air force guys are pansies, man. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to Quantico. So I did my officer training with the Marine Corps. I was commissioned in the Navy. Uh-huh. Um, uh, initially, um, like there's always a, well, not always when, when there is a backlog for flight school, they send you other places or whatever. And I end up initially at the Naval Academy. Uh, so my first year and a half, I was a instructor at the Naval Academy and uh, assistant basketball coach. Unfortunately, that was life in the AD after <laughs> David, <laughs> but he was uh, David was still there at the academy. So uh-huh. we became friends and we worked out, you know, together. And um, he was he was um, we graduated the same year, so we were literally there for a while together until he went off uh, with the CBs, And Mm -hmm. uh, he had to do his engineering thing. And um, a year and a half later, I finally, uh, I'm transferred down to Pensacola. And I I go through, you know, ground school, flight school, that whole shot. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, they let David out about a year in, or no, but I think he did like half of his half of his commitment. My commitment was seven years, and mm-hmm. I ended up doing three. Um, and I had never intended to get out of my commitment. Uh, that was that was kind of a difference between us. Of course, he had you know San Antonio waiting on him. Sure. Nobody really waiting on me. <laughs> <laughs> and,
3: and for the I mean, crowd at just home, just for just the just crowd just... At home that may not be aware, we're talking about David Robinson, future NBA Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. But uh, but <laughs> go ahead, and continue. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead and continue, Gary.
4: Yeah, so um, after uh, after flight school or in during flight school, I'm doing great through flight school. You know, it's funny because um, I think the guys, that most of the guys that were in flight school, it's not at all like they, you know, portrayed in the movies. You know, like, that's a lot of nerds. <laughs> guys who <that> graduated <laughs> from, you know, different schools and engineering and whatnot. And so uh-huh. they're partying for the first time. And, you know, I'm coming from Iowa, that's what I've already been through all of that, so uh-huh. I'm locked into the books, you know. <laughs> and I finished, you know, number two in in, in my flight school class, uh-huh. and they give me uh, the possibility to fly jets, which is the pipeline that I wanted. But they were no longer using an aircraft in the training command that I fit. They did when I entered the program, um, but because of budget cuts, they went back to the A4. They were using the old Vietnam. Mm -hmm. leftover A4s. And that was, you know, I couldn't get in there with a shoehorn, you know. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they, they, they put me in and they looked at it, the flight surgeon was shaking his head. "Mm -hmm." I was like, No, he said, "Mm." he said, if you, if you eject, you're gonna lose both your legs. And so that that was the end of that. And so at that point, uh, I could no longer pursue the pipeline that I wanted. I wanted to eventually uh, go through the jet pipeline and then apply for the astronaut pilot program uh, that was my that was my mm-hmm. ultimate you know goal and once i couldn't pursue that anymore they said you can have anything else and you know i never made a decision and i was like well i didn't much of a choice in the navy here with the, i could fly the p3 orion which is a, a huge they'd be like driving a bus after <laughs> you know flying in the you know the smaller planes and Uh or helicopters and I thought okay you know the helo bud but I never made a decision and so they made it for me they they assigned me helicopters and um, at that point I I transitioned out they let me out because Atlanta the Atlanta Hawks had picked up um, they invited me to their camp okay they were looking for a backup to Dominique Wilkins and and so they were like well you know there's not a lot of guys that are you know we're getting phone calls like that so they, you know, they, they were they were cool. You've you've given us half of your commitment, and so we're mm-hmm. we're good with that. And so, it was yeah. a, you know, it's very nice.
3: So you and Dominique, had, you know, in the same uh, building because you, uh, what I from what I read, if this is correct, when you were in Pensacola, you were allowed to play CBA yeah. while you were there, and you were the slam dunk champion of the uh, CBA that season,
4: <laughs> weren't you? Yeah, I guess uh, I guess I buried the headline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while I was in while I was in flight school, uh, there was a team in Pensacola, the CBA, uh, the Pensacola Tornadoes. I guess it's like the G League now, or you know, these yeah, yeah. along those lines. But um, yeah, they they went all the way to the Secretary of the Navy uh, to get permission for me to play for them. Um, and so they said, as long as you, as long as it doesn't interfere with your flight training schedule, or you know, and it's funny, I read the wording of it. Um, I, I was looking at it maybe over Christmas, so we were moving some stuff around. And I came across the actual letter and it says, as long as your basketball doesn't interfere with your flight training schedule. And for my CO, what that meant for him, we're going to arrange your flight schedule so that it doesn't <laughs> interfere with your basketball because he's you know, he a huge basketball guy. Uh, so I thought that was funny. So what they did was they, um, I flew all my missions, um, at like five or six in the morning so that I could be fresh for afternoon practice and then the whenever we had a game that night I didn't have a a morning flight it was Mm. essentially like having the day off I had you know ground duty or you know paperwork or something so they they were real sweet about it
3: (laughs) Uh. (laughs) so did you win it on the old cartwheel dunk that you that we always heard about when you played yeah
4: yeah threw down the cartwheel dunk uh I, I, I want to say that I let off with that and, you know, like, let's just, let's get, let's get to it right away, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, well, deal with this. <laughs>
3: now, now if I remember correctly, you could actually do the cartwheel because you could hold the ball, your hands were big enough, you could actually do the cartwheel with the ball on one hand, right, mm-hmm. and then come up? That's, that's correct. Wow. That's correct. That's, I, I, you know, I was, I was actually, when we were doing our research, I was trying to look for video of that highlight, but we couldn't find it, but that'd be a fun one if we could ever come across that sometime, so. Yeah,
4: yeah, I know uh, ESPN uh, was there, because I had a clip of it, uh-huh. and it was the old ESPN Gatorade sled dunk, you know, thing from 89, but um, yeah, that's too bad, too, because I, I had uh, graduated that from the Cartwell to a roundoff. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I do a round <laughs> off and dunk it backwards and uh, you know.
3: Well, well, Gary, this has been a lot of fun. I could keep going on. I mean, I you know, we I saw in your background you went on you uh martial arts, I believe you've been involved with and uh you, you commit, you know, I think you instructed hand-to-hand combat in the military. Yes, and you, did. you were law enforcement for a while. Um 5
4: years, 5 years uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's and... In- after the Sheriff's, I went back to the University of Iowa as an on-campus recruiting coordinator. And Tom is the one who talked me into playing again, actually. So after after that, um, I spent a year and a half at Iowa and Mm -hmm. I was about 31. And he said, you know, I was still working out with the squad and practicing every now and again. He said, you still got it. You know, you should Mm -hmm. really think about playing. And I ended up um, taking his advice and going over in plates. I was 38 in um, Spain and Germany and uh, Sweden. So uh, did the European thing and ended up um, getting an offer to, to work for the Royal family of Saudi Arabia. Um, so after that, I, I went to Saudi Arabia. I lived in the Royal palace. I was a exercise specialist and bodyguard for the Royal family and was on vacation in the states during 9 11. okay and never and got stuck over here uh no no you know fly rule or whatever
2: mm-hmm.
4: uh couldn't uh travel back to the middle east and ended up stuck here and started working in education and that brings us to where we are today my gosh what
3: I, uh, we can't just gloss that over. Working for the royal family of Saudi Arabia, I mean, what, what was that experience like? What, what, what I, what, what, I mean, what was awesome. it like oh, <laughs> living in the palace? I mean, what, what, what were some of the biggest? What were some of the? What, give us one memory that you go back, or one story from that time that you that you'd like to tell. I mean, there's got to be Oof. something or a couple. I mean, that's that's just well, something I mean, we're not going to run into with another guest.
4: It's, it's, uh there's a lot, there's a lot of Royals in Saudi Arabia, but mm-hmm. I worked for um, someone that was in succession for the throne. And so okay. that makes a huge difference. So, sure. um, you know, he, he was the governor of Mecca and Medina, you know, their most religious, uh, their most important, you know, religious uh, cities. And also uh, he was the governor of Riyadh, which is one of the most important economic cities. Mm-hmm. And so. When the entourage rolled, I mean, we're we're rolling thick, Uzis and body armor, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like rolling with the president. Um, memories, man. I mean, <laughs> they. I'll give you a good one. The first time we I travel with the entourage, and so they have this seven forty seven, and it, from the outside it looks just like a regular seven forty seven. As soon as we step on board, I'm like this is like, unlike any 747 I've ever seen, it's gutted out and they have, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, like air force one, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then when it's time to have dinner, you know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, principal, Prince of Dilmajid, he wants you to come and have dinner with the entourage. So we're all seated around on these huge cushions and pillows and they're serving, you know, whatever you want. And i'd never seen that before like what do you like what do you feel like this evening and they have a whole galley stocked and locked with anything you could imagine so that that's one memory i'll give you a better one uh i usually was part of the entourage of the princess um and that sounds young to us but she was you know they were mid-50s they were Mm -hmm. you know he was prince and she was princess um i think we have a tendency to think that that's you know somewhat young but no they were Sure. In the mid fifties, and um, she was throwing a dinner party, and it would it was all women. And she said it it would be very inappropriate for you to be there. And so, uh, her servant comes to my quarters, and she's apologizing profusely. She said, "But the princess wants you to go out and you know have a nice dinner." And Uh I was like, "No big deal." You know, Uh, I'm uncomfortable a lot of times I've been to, you know, I go down to eat with her entourage and, you know, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt or something. And she's like, Oh, let me introduce you to the minister from England, which actually happened once, you know, it's just <laughs> like some ambassador from, they're all, they're all, right. like, Oh, let me go change. And they're like, no, no, it's totally cool. It's totally cool. And I was like, Oh, but so she, so this girl is like telling me like, here, this is from the princess. I'm like, Oh no, she didn't have it. You know, and I th- I knew it was an envelope of money. She's like, the princess wants you to go out and have a nice dinner, da-da-da. And um and she says, I was like, No, oh, she pays me well enough. I'm good. And she said, No, I can't return with this envelope. You have to take it or I will be in trouble. It was like that. So I, and I I understood that. So
2: uh-huh. it's
4: it's pretty intense there. <laughs> so I take the envelope and I don't pay much attention to it. And um uh, the other uh there's a, a friend of mine who also is part of the entourage and he said hey you get one of those envelopes i was like yeah he said well what are we, what are we doing man you know i was like "Whatever. we'll, we'll go whatever you know fun records and mm-hmm. uh, whatever some burger place so um and so i go to grab you know a couple of dollars out of there and i open the envelope and i'm like hey there's about three thousand dollars in there and that's when i realized they have no idea the value of money sure she gave me three thousand dollars to go out and get a hamburger (laughs) it's like are you kidding me and i mean she really they really just have Mm. no, you know sure i think i think that um prince abdul majid at that time and this is this is around 2000 and 2000 2001 Mm. he was making about four hundred and twenty thousand dollars a day wow that's like i i try to explain to people, how much money and wealth they, you know, that that they're generating with that oil, and it's like it's it's beyond comprehension, it, it, totally beyond comprehension. But, mm. Yeah, so there's a the story. <laughs> oh, wow.
3: Well, I tell you what, I, from a guy that like myself that uh, had a hard time making sure that I uh, put my shirt on correctly this morning, you've had, you've led quite the life, Gary, right? I'd it's, it's been a pleasure talking oh, to thanks. you, and I really enjoyed it. If I uh, if I run this too much longer, I'm afraid Adam won't let me have the car keys again. So, uh, <laughs> And we better let you get back to your family. So, Gary, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and uh, telling us where you're at and reliving some great Hawkeye memories. <laughs> and we always right. end this with the Go Hawks.
4: Yeah, go hot. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Gary. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, that
1: was um
2: interesting.